welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, River Valley, we are excited because Robert Madu is preaching this weekend, and he was supposed to be here for Sparkle, but... Yes, he was. We were going to have him for our Sparkle conference, but we're so excited to have him for the weekend. Yes, you're going to enjoy him. Open up, get ready to receive from Robert Madu. Hello, River Valley Church. Hey, whether you are in a building or online watching this in your PJs, I want you to know that I am absolutely honored and uh, really just espresso elated, really to be back at River Valley. I'm excited to share the word of God with you today. I believe it's going to give you courage. It's going to bring you hope. Uh, first of all, I want to thank God for your incredible pastors, Pastor Rob and Becca Ketterling. You have the best of the best, and I'm so honored to share the Word of God with you today. In fact, I'm so excited about this message because I preached it to myself, responded to my old altar call, and I wrote my ministry a check for $1,000. So I promise you, you're going to be blessed today. Uh, go with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 8, and I'm going to look at verses 14 through 21. Mark chapter 8, we'll start at verse 14, land at verse number 21, and it says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? How many know when Jesus is asking a question, the question is never for him, it's always for you. He's trying to get you to understand something, and that's what he's trying to do with the disciples here. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? River Valley, I want to talk to you today around this idea. Don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. It is in seasons of difficulty and seasons of being challenged that often we remember the things that we need to forget and we forget the things that we need to remember. But don't forget to remember. Come on, let's pray before we jump to this word. It's going to be a long prayer, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads across every location? God, you're awesome. Speak today. Amen. <laughs> Don't forget to remember. Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that the year 2020 still isn't over. Come on, is it just me or does it feel like this year has been going on for half a century? I don't think it's an exaggeration or even hyperbole to say that this has been the year that has literally changed the world. Sure, every year has its challenges, every year has its changes, every year has its problems and defining moments, but not every year has such a paradigm shift. 
where you are left with more questions than you have answers. Uh, there seems to be more complexity than there is clarity. And all of us are having to tap into the lost art of adaptability. 2020 has been a year for the record books. 2020, the irony, the year that we, number rather, that we associate with vision. And yet this is the year we're seeing things we have never seen before and nobody saw coming. If you're like me, earlier this year I was having intense intercession. Uh, also known as complaining. And I was saying, God, I did not plan for some of the things I'm seeing this year. And God said something to me that I want to say to you. He said, Robert, don't forget to remember you prayed for this year. I said, hold up, wait a minute, God. No, I did not pray for anything I'm seeing right now. He said, oh yeah, you forgot. You did pray for this year because you're the one that said at the beginning of 2020, God, I want you to change me this year. You're the one that said at the beginning of 2020, God, I want to go deeper with you this year. Whatever it takes for me to have more of you, I want more. I was indignant. I said, hold on, God, I did not say any of that. Come on, you know it's bad when God takes you to your own Instagram and reminds you of the first sermon you preached in 2020. Can I show you that clip real quick? Watch this. telling you whatever it takes for me to get more of you. I didn't realize it was going to be this. And isn't it interesting, the disconnect that many of us have between what we want God to do in our lives and what it will take for that to come to pass. Oh, come on. We say things like, God, I, I want to be changed, but we don't want to be challenged. Like, God, I want to trust you, but don't let my bank account get too low. God, I want to go deeper with you, but I don't want to be disturbed or disrupted. But can I tell you, River Valley, you serve a God that will disrupt you. You serve a God that will wreck your calendar. He will wreck your schedule. Oh, yes, he did not cause this pandemic, but he is using this pandemic to wake some of us up and push us into our purpose. God will disrupt and disturb you because he is committed to changing you. He is more committed to your transformation than he is to your comfort, and God will disrupt you. In fact, that's all that Jesus did on the earth. It's like every day he woke up, the disciples are like, what are we going to do today, Jesus? He's like the same thing we do every day. We're going to comfort the disturbed, and we're going to disturb the comfortable, and that's what he did, and that's what he's doing in my text we read today. Jesus, he's on a boat with his disciples, and as they get on the boat, they're discussing how they forgot to bring bread. And immediately, Jesus looks at them and says, watch out, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples are looking around the boat like, uh, hold on, Jesus, is nobody but you and us on the boat? What are you talking about, Herod and the Pharisees? He's like, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. 
I love this because this is classic Jesus. A lot of people today I've heard say before, oh, it would have been awesome to hang out with the physical Jesus. It would have been so cool. No, it wouldn't. You would have been confused just like the disciples because Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Jesus was not just a good man. He was a God man, God in flesh, walking among us. And when you are talking to somebody that is God in the flesh, when you are talking to somebody that is deity and humanity in one, how many know the conversation will get confusing sometimes? Come on, remember one of my favorite examples in John chapter 2, when he's at a wedding and his own mother comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, they just ran out of wine. Jesus' response to them running out of wine was, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my time. What is Jesus talking about? She's talking about wine. He's talking about his time because he is fully God and he is fully man. And the God in him, when he heard wine, knew that that wine is a picture of his blood that was going to be shed on the cross. And how many know his blood had to be enough to cover the sins of humanity? So when she said wine, he's thinking about his blood that's going to be shed. And he said, wait a minute, it is not my time. Sometimes talking to Jesus could be confusing. So when they're on the boat talking about the loaf of bread that they had, one loaf, Jesus is like, no. You don't have one loaf of bread on this boat. There's two loaves of bread on this boat because you're holding bread and you're looking at bread. I am the bread of life. And he says, be careful of mixing the yeast. Yeast is a fungus that if you put in the dough of the bread, just a little bit of yeast has the power to affect the totality of the bread. In the Bible, yeast is a metaphor for unbelief. It's a metaphor for sin. It's also a metaphor for pride. He says, be careful of mixing just a little bit of sin, unbelief, pride in who I am, the bread of life. It will contaminate and distort what I've come to do. He said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, the religious system, and of Herod, the political system. Because if you start mixing religion and politics with the bread of life, it will contaminate the bread. Because how many know Jesus came to establish a kingdom and you can only be transformed and sustained by the bread of life? He's talking about the purity of who he was, the bread. The disciples still didn't get it. They were completely confused. They're like, see, we should have brought more than one loaf of bread. He's mad because we only brought one loaf. He's like, no, I'm not talking about provision. I'm talking about the purity of who I am, this bread. He's like, but since you're talking about that bread, let's go to that bread. He has to remind them. He said, when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves, how many leftovers did you pick up? They said 12. When I fed the 4,000 with the seven loaves, how many leftovers did you have? They said seven. He's like, okay. So the first time we fed less people, or more people rather, with less bread, and we had more leftovers. He goes, it's 12 of y'all with one loaf. I think you're going to be okay. You know why? Because you have me, the bread of life, on the boat. And if I'm with you, you have every single thing that you need. The disciples so quickly forgot God's faithfulness and what he did for them in the feeding of the multitudes. Now, River Valley, here's where I got to parenthetically pause and file a complaint. I got to file a complaint, uh, not with the CDC. I got to file a complaint with the SSC, the Sunday School Committee, okay? Because your boy, Robert, was raised in church, old school church, okay? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, old school church, vacation Bible school, 
old school church. I'm talking about we couldn't celebrate Halloween. We had Hallelujah Night. You had to dress up as a Bible character, okay? Old school church. You know how frustrating it is to walk in a party city and go, do y'all have an Ezekiel outfit? Old school church. And in all my years of growing up in church and Sunday school, I don't ever remember my Sunday school teachers telling me that the miracle where Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread, that miracle didn't happen once. That miracle happened twice. Yes, he did it for the 5,000 where they hijacked the little boy's Long John Silver lunch. But a few months later, he did that miracle again. That miracle happened twice. And so many people focus on the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, some scholars think that Mark had a mental lapse, and he's actually talking about the same miracle twice. But Jesus totally debunks that in Mark chapter 8 because he says, no, remember when I fed the 5,000 and remember when I fed the 4,000. That miracle happened twice. So I want to pause today, and I just thank Jesus for the feeding of the 5,000. I want to thank Jesus for the feeding of the 4,000, because the feeding of the 4,000 says to me that if God has ever made a way in your life once, that if God has ever opened up a door for you once, that if God has ever healed you before once, how many of you know he has the power to do it again. The same God that did the miraculous once can do it again. The same God that opened up a door once has the power to do it again. Ooh, that is good news, River Valley Church. That is good news to know that if God's been faithful before, he'll be faithful again. Do not let the difficulty of this season make you doubt the power of your God if he's come through before once, he will come through again. See, it is my history with God that gives me confidence to trust him in my present. Some of you need to just start reviewing your history with God. You need to start reading the word of God and reviewing his history, what he's able to do. Cut off TV. Yes, please cut off the news. Get off of CNN and Fox and ABC and NBC and HIJK Elemental P and just start reviewing what God has done in your life because it's what he's done in the past that gives me confidence to trust him in my present. He did that miracle twice. I think the feeding of the multitudes has to be looked at more than any other miracle in the Bible because it is one of the only miracles that is mentioned in all four Gospels outside of the resurrection. Every Gospel writer mentions the miracle where Jesus fed the multitude. That means Jesus wanted us to remember this miracle. Not only that, the fact that this is the only miracle mentioned outside of the resurrection speaks to the fact that Jesus is not just concerned with the condition of my soul, he's also concerned with the condition of my circumstance. That means that Jesus cares about your need. Yes, he cares about your soul. How many of you know eternity matters? But he cares about your life right now. Come on, some of you need to thank God that he cares about groceries. He cares about migraine headaches. He cares about your need. And you need to know that today, that if it matters to you, it matters to God. He doesn't just care about the spiritual. He cares about the physical as well. This is what I love about the miracles of Jesus, because the miracles of Jesus don't just reveal his greatness. They reveal his goodness, that he is a good, good father, and that if something matters to you, it matters to God. He cares about your need. The miracle of the multitudes is a message of God's concern. Not only is it a message of God's concern, it's also a mandate for the church. 
Because how many know as the church, we cannot just be concerned with the transformation of souls if we're not meeting the needs of the people around us. Thank God you're a part of an awesome church called River Valley that's not just preaching the gospel, but you're also meeting the needs of people where they are. Because God is looking for us to participate in the miracle. Now, all of that was my introduction. Okay, don't log off if you're watching a lot. But uh, no, I want to spend just a few moments. And I want to look at these, these two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And I want to put them side by side so we can remember what we cannot forget. I want to do like those pictures. You ever seen those pictures in a magazine, like it's the same picture, but you have to circle the differences? That's what I want to do with these two miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Let's look at the similarities and some of the differences. First thing I noticed is that in both miracles, you had a whole lot of people and you also had a problem. You had a whole lot of people and you also had a problem. Ooh, don't forget to remember that you are called to problems because you were called to people. Oh yes, you are called to problems because you were called to people. When the Bible says there was 5,000 in one miracle and 4,000 in another, you realize that's not counting the women and children. It's possible and plausible there are 20,000 plus people. That's a lot of people. And because there's a lot of people, whoo, you got some problems. You are called to problems because you're called to people. I know in this polarizing, contentious age in which we live, it's so easy to isolate yourself and say, I'm so sick of the drama. I don't want to be around people. But can I tell you, you're called to problems because you're called to people. And even if you isolate yourself from people, you still have a problem because you can't run away from you. Yes. How many of you know the shelter-in-place orders that we had? For some of us, it was just revealing to us that we had been running from ourselves for a long time, running from ourselves, hiding behind careers and busy schedules. And when everything was shut down, many of us had to confront ourselves, and we realized, I don't even like me. You cannot run away from you. You're called to problems because you're called to people. That's why I think it's imperative in this season to have grace for difficult people. You know why? Because you are one of them. You're called the problems because you're called the people. I also noticed in both miracles that compassion is where the miracle started. The compassion of Jesus. In the feeding of 5,000, the Bible says that he looked at the crowd as sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. In the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus verbally says to his disciples, I have compassion on these people. It's one of the only times in the gospel that Jesus verbally says, I have compassion. How many know you cannot forget to remember that compassion activates the miraculous? Compassion activates the miraculous. You want to start seeing the miraculous happen in your life? Start getting compassionate. And that's difficult in this day and age, isn't it? Because many of us, if we're honest, we have compassion fatigue as we look at our timelines and look at the news and look at our world, there's so many issues. And if you're not careful, you'll get apathetic and say, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. But can I tell you, as a believer, you don't have the luxury of apathy. God has called you not to do everything, but you have to play your part if you truly have God's heart. Compassion activates the miraculous. I love it. In the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus looks at the crowd and says, I can't send them away hungry because some of them have come from afar off and they'll faint along the way. Look at Jesus. In a multiplicity of thousands of people, he knew with specificity how far some of them had come from. 
He knew their address. That means you cannot have compassion unless you have clarity and concern about where people have come from, unless you care about their journey. Come on, am I the only one you ever been in a situation where you're talking to somebody and maybe they're going off on you and they're talking to you like they forgot you have not always been saved? Come on, and you know some words that are not in the King James Bible. <laughs> you ever have one of those moments where you're like, oh, I'm about to let them have it because your heart's palpitating and sweat is coming down your forehead and you're about to let them know, hey, I can raise more than a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies, okay? <laughs> but don't you just wish in that heated moment that a pause button could be pushed and all of a sudden, you could get clarity on where they came from, how they were raised, what they had been through. Maybe even just what they went through that day. And all of a sudden, your response would change, wouldn't it? Because you got clarity on where they came from. Come on, as the people of God, if we're going to have compassion, we've got to care where people have come from. I also notice in both miracles that they let the weight of the problem, the magnitude of the crowd, made them ask the wrong question. In both miracles, they asked the wrong question. Don't forget to remember to always ask the right question. They let the weight of the problem make them ask the wrong questions. In the feeding of the 5,000, they said, it would take us half a year's wages to feed this many people. Are we to spend that much money on bread? Wrong question. In the feeding of the 4,000, they said, well, where can we even find enough bread in this place for these people? Wrong question. The weight of the problem made them ask the wrong question. Many people are worried in this season. You know why? Because they're asking the wrong questions. Wrong questions always lead to worry. Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you right now, the reason you're so stressed and worried is because you've been asking the wrong questions. And worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you are like, Robert, give us some scripture for that. I'll give you scripture for it. Come on, look at Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, so do not worry. That's not a suggestion. That is a commandment. Jesus says, don't worry, saying, here comes the questions, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Did you see that? Jesus says, don't worry. And then he says, don't start asking the wrong questions. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What about my job? What about the car? What if there's another lockdown? What if I have to be a homeschool teacher this entire school year? What if I have to wear a mask all the time? What about this? What about that? What about the 401k? What about this? What about that? Ooh, you just sneezed. What if I got it? Wrong questions. I'm not saying you shouldn't have wisdom. I'm not saying you shouldn't have concern. But often you're worried because you're asking the wrong questions. Can I give you a better question? Here's the right question because Jesus asked it in both miracles. You ready? Here's the question of Jesus. How many loaves do you have? Ooh, that is a good question. Jesus asked it in both miracles. How many loaves do you have? I love that question because the question, how many loaves do you have? That question doesn't lead to worry. That question leads to work. It makes you start looking and searching, trying to figure out what do I have? When you say, how many loaves do you have left? You're not weeping over what has been lost. You're looking for what you have left. I wonder in this season, are you weeping over what's been lost instead of doing inventory on what you have left? How many loaves do you have? That's the question to ask in the midst of a shaken economy, racial injustice, and everything going crazy. How many loaves do you have? What has God given you? 
How many loaves do you have? That makes you be grateful for what God has given you instead of complaining about what you don't have. Yes, you lost your job, but guess what? You still have your mind. You still have your creativity. You're still here. You still have a pulse. That means you still have a purpose. How many loaves do you have? I'm telling you, when you start figuring out how many loaves you have, you'll be grateful for what God has given you. How many loaves do you have? I love it because all Jesus asked was, how many loaves do you have? He never even asked, how many fish do you have? Read it in both miracles. He never asked about fish. He only asked about loaves. But I find it powerful that in the process of looking for loaves, they found out, wait a minute, we got some fish too. Jesus never even asked for fish. But when they started looking for the loaves, they found out they had fish too. Come on, anybody in this season, have you found some things that you didn't know you had? Come on, some of you found a prayer life in 2020 you didn't know you had. Some of you found some worship in 2020 you didn't know you have. Because when you look for what you have, it's amazing how you find what you didn't know that you had. How many loaves do you have? They found the fish found the loaves, but still when they brought it for Jesus before him, it still wasn't enough. It still wasn't enough. When they looked at their hands and looked at the magnitude of the crowd, how many know it still wasn't enough? Maybe I'm the only one, but have you ever looked at the demand on your life and then looked at the resources of what you had and come to the alarming conclusion, it's not enough. I don't have enough to be the parent he's called me to be. I don't have enough to be the leader he's called me to be. I don't have enough to be the business person he's called me to be. I don't have enough to be the student he's called me to be. It's not enough. It's amazing, even when I talk to successful people, if you really get to know them and get beyond that facade of acting like they have it all together, you'll hear this come from their soul in some way or another. I don't have enough. And can I tell you, you will never be enough. Let me mess up all your self-help stuff. You will never be enough if it's going to be in your hands. If what you have is going to stay in your hands, it will never be enough. Because if it's in your hands, that means you have to control it. And if 2020 hasn't taught you anything, it should have taught you you are not in control. Miracles happen when you take it out of your hands and you put it in Jesus' hands. They took what wasn't enough. They put it in Jesus' hands, and look what he does with it. He takes it, he gives thanks for it, he blesses it, says, thank you, Father. Then he breaks it and gives it right back to them to feed the multitude. Now, you realize the people in the Bible did not realize they were going to be in the Bible. See, we read stories and we get excited because we know how the story is going to end. But can you imagine being one of the disciples, and all of a sudden you give it to Jesus knowing it's not enough? And you got perhaps 20,000 people you got to feed. And all he does is go, thank you, Father. Breaks it and gives it right back to you to feed the multitude. I would have been like, "Uh, hold on, Jesus. You want to pray for this one more time? It is a whole lot of people out there. You understand that the multiplication did not happen in the hands of Jesus. Come on, that wouldn't have taken faith. If as soon as they took what was not enough and put it in Jesus' hands and all of a sudden it started popping and multiplying, they would have been getting excited saying, oh, here we go. No, the multiplication did not happen in Jesus' hands. It happened in their hands. And I find it intriguing that Jesus is letting 12 guys distribute food to 20,000 people. 
Come on, Jesus. This miracle is not efficient, okay? You are the king of the universe. You are God. You could have put an I dream a genie and just wiggled your nose and made everybody be full. You could have set up an in and out fish and bread station and just kind of hustled everybody through there. Why are 12 guys dispersing the food to thousands of people? This is taking too long. But Jesus says, no, I want it to take long because I understand that, watch this, don't forget to remember that multiplication happens through interaction through interaction. It was as they interacted with the people they were passing the bread to that it began to multiply. And right when it got down to not enough, there was enough because multiplication happens through interaction. As you interact with people and see their faces and know their stories, this is why the enemy wants to keep the church divided today because a house divided cannot stand. But how many of you know multiplication happens when you interact with other people? And as they passed it out, not only did they have enough, they had leftovers. Now, here's my issue with the disciples, and I land with this. I give you a pass on the first miracle, sweating, stressed, saying this is a lot of people. I give you a pass on the first miracle, but don't forget Jesus did this miracle twice. I don't give you a pass on the second time. The second time you saw the multitude, you ought to lean back on the history that you had with God and go, you know what? He's done it before. He can do this again. Come on, y'all get the fish. Y'all get the bread. We've been here before. Why are you stressing the second time? Maybe it speaks to the fact that we stress in moments of difficulty when we have a history with God of how he's come through before. But I also think it's deeper than that. Because in the feeding of the 5,000, the big issue for the disciples was the price of the bread. They did the math. They said it would take half a year's wages to feed this many people. But in the feeding of the 4,000, the issue was not the price. It was the place and the people. Because they said, where can we even find enough bread in this place to feed these people? Which made me ask the question, what was that place and who were those people? You see, the feeding of the 5,000 happened in Bethsaida, near the Sea of Galilee, in Jewish territory. But the feeding of the 4,000 happened in the region of the Decapolis in Gentile territory. The feeding of the 4,000 happened in the area that they avoided, in people that they didn't want to be around, with people that they thought they were better than. That's where the feeding of the 4,000 happened. No wonder they had an issue with that place and those people because the feeding of the 4,000 was a field trip to show the disciples that if you're going to be Jesus' witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, if you're going to be the one that passes out the bread of life, you don't get to pick who you're going to pass the bread of life to because how many know Jesus is that bread and the bread is for everybody? Not just people that look like you, walk like you, talk like you, think like you, vote like you. No, this bread is for everybody. And if you're going to pass the bread out, you've got to know that it's for the entire world. That's what the bread of life is. It's for everybody. If you're old or young, you need the bread of life. If you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, no matter your color or your creed, you need the bread of life. No matter your denominational background, you need the bread of life. No matter your economic status, you need the bread of life. And if we're going to pass out the bread, we don't get to pick who we're going to give the bread of life to. I should have known. The blues clues was in the breadcrumbs and the baskets left over. In the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves of bread 
12 baskets left over, five, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament that they loved, the 12 tribes of Israel. But the feeding of the 4,000? Oh, seven loaves of bread, seven baskets left over, seven, the number of completion, seven, how many days the world was created because this bread of life is for the world. And if you're going to pass it out, you got to know it's for everybody. I love it because what Jesus did with the bread is what he was doing with the disciples. He took the bread, he blessed it, then he broke it, and he broke it so it could be multiplied and used more. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll find that what he did with the bread, he'll do with your life. He'll take you, he will bless you, but he'll also break you. But the breaking is not to destroy you. The breaking is so he can use you more. The breaking is so that your life can give hope to somebody else so you can pass the bread to other people. Can I confess, this has been a breaking year for me. 2020 has been the year of breaking. Seeing what's happening, everything being shut down, our ministry lost so much revenue, being, everything being canceled on us. This was a year of breaking for me. Seeing racial injustice, this was a year of breaking for me. I found myself in a place where I said, God, I don't even want to preach anymore. Up until this year, I didn't have a point of reference for depression or anxiety, but this was a breaking year for me, and I had to remind myself of God's faithfulness and who God was in my life, and I took a field trip. I'm going to show you a picture. I took a field trip to Pittsburgh, Texas. Pittsburgh, Texas, that great metropolis, and I stood out in front of this church that you're seeing right now. That is my grandfather's church that I stood in front of, and on Father's Day, I drove down to that church in a moment of just depression and feeling down and wanting to give up and quit. And I sat in that church because I remember how my mom used to tell me that my grandmother would lay her hands on me as a child and say, God's going to use you to preach the gospel around the world. I remember the miracles that would happen as my grandfather would preach in that little bitty church. And I sat in that church and in that church, God met me and I reminded myself of God's faithfulness. I reminded myself that the same God that brought my grandfather and my grandmother through is the same God that will bring me through. Come on, somebody. That's what the breaking process is. Don't give up. God's not breaking you to destroy you. He's breaking you so he can use you more. That's why you can't quit and give up this year. Because on the other side of the breaking, he's only going to be able to use you more. I had to remind myself of God's faithfulness. The God that brought me through that will bring me and you through this. Would you bow your heads, River Valley? I'd love to pray with you. In this moment, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are faithful. God, I thank you that we can trust you. We can trust you in the blessing. We can trust you in the breaking. If you brought us through that, if you've been faithful before, you will be faithful now. In Jesus' name, amen.